Hello and welcome to the Theologian's Table podcast. My name is Tim and I am the host. So this episode is a pre-recorded interview with missionary Tommy Smith. I did this as part of my graduate program and he has graciously uh, allowed me to use parts of the interview for this podcast. So I hope you enjoyed and I hope you learned something. And you'll also probably hear my kids every once in a while in the background. But, you know, I'm just not that great of an audio engineer yet to uh, edit them out completely. But in any case, I hope you enjoy it. As I said, I hope you learn something and that it edifies you. So here we go. Hello, my name is Tim, and I'm a student with Pentecostal Theological Seminary. And today I'm conducting an interview for the Church of God History and Polity course, which is overseen by Dr. David Roebuck. I have the pleasure of interviewing Andrew Thomas Smith Jr., or Tommy as he likes to be called. And he is the Regional Superintendent for Asia Missions with the Church of God. Uh, Tommy, thank you for joining me. Uh, Tim, what a delight to... uh be with you and to be interviewed and to to share whatever I can share. All right. So I I do have uh, a lot to ask you. And one of the first things, uh, since this is for a history course, is what's your uh, family lineage like in, in the Church of God or ministry overall? And what impact has that had on your personal life and your calling? Thank you. That's a great question. First of all, I'll tell you, actually, I serve as the regional superintendent for the Southern Pacific of the Church of God, as it's called. And that includes uh, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore, Malaysia, but I also serve as the representative to Indonesia. Two similar but uh, distinct functions. I am in the Church of God, a third-generation Pentecostal, a third-generation member of the Church of God, but I am the very first uh, minister, clergyman, ordained bishop of our family, the Smith family. Pentecost came to my grandfather, Adelbert Carl Smith, from South Georgia uh, many years ago. I remember when I was a junior or senior in high school, uh, my grandfather shared with me two testimonies, which are are very important. The first testimony that he shared was his conversion of how he loved to play baseball because he knew I like sports. If you could see my office, you would see brave memorabilia everywhere. And so, but he told me that he got up to the plate And he prayed a prayer, Lord, I'm going to hit a home run around the bases. We'll win the game, but I'll never look back. I'll serve you forevermore. My grandfather told me that, hoping that I'd give up liking sports and get more serious about about the Lord. But I I, I still like sports, but I'm uh, very serious about the Lord. But the second testimony was about when he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is very important because this brought Pentecost to the Smith family. There was a great uh, Brush Arbor revival going on in South Georgia in the Blackshear, Waycross, uh, Bristol area where they were living. And my grandfather 
would attend every night from Sunday morning to the following Sunday night. Every night there was a revival meeting and the blessing. He called the baptism of the Holy Spirit the blessing. It was being poured out and all the young people, all his good friends, they received the blessing. However, my grandfather did not. Until the very last night of the meeting, and the meeting ended, and he still had not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence, the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. So as they were going home in a wagon of the young people being pulled by a mule, (laughs) they were singing and praying and praising and worshiping on the way home. And as the wagon went down the old dirt road, all of a sudden my grandfather stood up and raised his hand towards heaven and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He began to rejoice and he began to jump up and down as he received the Holy Spirit and he fell out of the wagon, but he continued to worship the Lord. Somewhat humorous, but that brought the spirit to our family. Now, my grandmother, his wife, I remember I was a sophomore at then Lee College, now Lee University, home for Christmas. And my grandmother, she passed away. She had a heart attack on Christmas Day, the 25th of December, in a local church of God during the worship service. She had a heart attack. Now, we were all going to different local Church of God congregations in Savannah, where I'm originally from, but we're all called to go to the emergency room at the St. Joseph Hospital. My mother, and that would have been my grandmother's daughter-in-law, my mother and I were the last two people to go into the room to see my grandmother. And when we went in to see my grandmother, Gracie Smith, I looked at her as she had all kinds of medical wires attached to her. She lifted up her hands and she began to praise God in the heavenly language. And that's the memory that I have from my grandparents, and one when he received the baptism, and the other of my grandmother when she was leaving to go home to see the Lord to her eternal reward. She did so speaking in tongues. Immediately, the nursing staff, the doctors, they weren't aware of speaking in tongues. They weren't aware. They just, they got us out, <laughs> wouldn't let anyone in. And less than five minutes later, they told us that she had passed on to her eternal reward. That's had a tremendous impact on a third generation Pentecostal. And now our our oldest son and our, and our youngest son too, both Andrew and Peter, make the fourth generation And our grandson, who will be one year old next month, uh, will be, let's see, what's that be? The fifth generation raised in the Church of God, raising a Pentecostal home. So, yes, the the, the background of being raised in the Church of God, um, it's, it's, I knew nothing else. Now, I had uh, my other grandparents, my mom's parents, although my mother was very Pentecostal, her parents were Baptist. I never, I thought, I thought every church was like us. Mm-hmm. I'd never been to a Methodist church, never been to a Baptist church, never been to a Catholic church, and all these you know, have their pluses and minuses and, and, and good things about them. But I thought everyone was like us. I thought, and this you know, so how naive I was, I thought everyone spoke in tongues. And I thought everyone, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, you get 
emotional. And, you know, I've seen people run the aisles. I've ran the aisles as a young man. I've actually ran on the top of the pews as a young man. You know, I've seen people slain in the spirit and I, I've prayed for people and they've fallen out and I've been prayed for and I've fallen out and I've been, I've prayed for people and they haven't fallen out and uh, I've been prayed for and I didn't fall out. So I experienced all of it, but I thought until I got to in high school, I thought everybody was like us. And then I found out, uh, no, not everyone's Pentecostal, but I thank God that I am. Well, that's an amazing uh, testimony, and I love how you have those testimonies uh, of your grandparents. I just think that's so important, especially as Pentecostals. That Absolutely. We, that we can pass on. So let's go to the second question here. So in, in, a, in the book, uh, Like a Mighty Army, in the I think it's the tribute edition, it mentions that you were influenced by a professor, uh, James L. Slay, and a few Indonesian students at Lee College. And I was wondering what exactly was that impact that Dr. Slay had on you, on you and your view of missions and, and also of those Indonesian students? Uh, and, and was, was uh, a mission something that he emphasized at while he was teaching at Lee? Absolutely. Uh, thank you for the question. Like a Mighty Army, the definitive edition was the first edition that Charles Kahn, the author, wrote that included both myself and my wife Poppy in it in a couple of different uh, locations. Um, then there was the tribute edition, I think, that his grandson put out later so they could sell more books and maybe include some more material. However, uh, it's great to be in uh, Like a Mighty Army. It was a great to know Charles W. Kahn, former general overseer, the official historian of the Church of God, and he was the president of Lee University when I graduated. I did not know Dr. Kahn that well as a student, but after going to Indonesia, I would get to know Khan very well because the amalgamation that we'll talk about later was formed under his tenure as general overseer. That's probably one of the reasons he put us in the book. But with James Slay, uh, in the early going on in this amalgamation, which the Indonesians had defined as a partnership, James Slay was the world mission secretary. World Mission Secretary is comparable to the current terminology, World Missions Director. He was a World Mission Secretary at that time. James L. Slay was also the chairman of the committee that wrote uh, the Church of God Declaration of Faith. And uh, D Dr. Slay was, uh, uh, he taught psychology. Uh, at Lee, some, but taught a lot of missions courses. Yes, he uh, he emphasized missions because he taught uh, Bible basis for missions and he taught uh, missionary practice. My undergraduate degree from Lee is actually in uh, a Christian education with a minor in missions. And so uh, I have a lot of missions courses and I would take classes from Dr. Slay because I liked him. He was, an, uh, I like old people because uh, one day I'm going to be an old person. Mm -hmm. And um, so, uh, I, but he would tell uh, humorous stories and uh, uh, practical things. And I really liked uh, Dr. Slay, you know, and he would pray. He, I love to hear him pray because we, when he would pray for the rain and the sunshine and the, and the, and the green trees and the birds and, and, you know, he would, 
you know, just he prayed for, and gave thanks. That's that's the the, the, the important thing. He, he was very grateful and he gave thanks for all of these things. So I, lo- I learned a lot from watching him. When Dr. Slay got sick, he was getting sick. And, and so he, he, he a lot of times he was unable to finish out and they had to be a replacement professor in Bible Basis for Missions. I believe uh, Winston Elliott came in and finished the course for him uh, as a teacher. But Dr. Slay got sick. But I, I, would, uh, I had made a, a friendship with uh, some of the girls in the, in the psychology office that were the student workers. And they knew they knew my antics and they would allow me to go into Dr. Slay's office, which, you know, shouldn't have been. But what I would do, I would go in and I would bring him a plate of cookies. And so I would put a plate of chocolate chip cookies or oatmeal cookies, some kind of cookies or stuff uh, and leave on his desk for him because I really loved him. When he was the uh, general, uh, when he was the executive secretary of missions, he visited Indonesia. Uh, we had uh, uh, James Slay visited, uh, Cecil Knight would visit, uh, Ray Shoes would visit, Wade Horton. They were all visit trying to put this amalgamation partnership together. And I have, uh, they have in Bethel Seminary and the offices in Jakarta, they have pictures of young Dr. Slay in Indonesia. And so I remember Dr. Slay first telling me about Indonesia. So it had a great impact on, uh, on, on me, just inspirational. You know, there are a lot of things that uh, I remember when I when I finally went to Indonesia, I wrote him an, a letter and he was from Mobile, Alabama originally. And I'm originally from Savannah, Georgia. And he would tell me Mobile and Savannah, they're sister cities. They're a lot alike, port cities and et cetera. So we had, you know, something, you know, in in common there. But I, I really love Dr. Slay because he was an inspiration to me. And when I went finally to Indonesia, I wrote him a letter, told him I was going, and he wrote me a nice letter back. But he said, you know, there's not a whole lot I can tell you. You know, I, I love Indonesia, but, you know, the kind of things I was looking for to be there for a lifetime, you know, cultural insights, you know, he didn't have those. But he had the inspiration, and, and he inspired me and many others uh, during the time at Lee. Lee University at Lee College at that time was was a great place, and it 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 um, had missions on my heart, and that was just in a long line of how the Holy Spirit was sending individuals into my life to confirm my call to missions. Yeah, that's generally how I found that it works too with yeah. the Holy Spirit. Now, now you mentioned other students. Uh, That's right. Uh, now, the Indonesian students that were there were Johannes Tiawan, Uchu Terahadi, John Rusli, um, Andres Suryadi. Um, they all became my friends, lifetime friends. Uh, Andres Suryadi uh, is now with the Lord. Uh, he was one, he was the second national overseer of Greater Bethel Indonesia. He would become, he wasn't at that time. I was a student at Lee, but they were at PTS back then. It was the church of God school of theology. And so they were there, but, uh, they lived on the campus of Lee in the dorms. And the thing about, uh, Uchu and Johannes, uh, they had money, but I, I didn't have money. I had a car. They didn't have a car. 
So we learn what the Indonesians call gotong royong. That means we work in together. <laughs> so we work together. At that time, there was no Chinese restaurants in Cleveland. And on the weekend, they put gas in my car, and we go to the Chinese restaurant down in Chattanooga. And, you know, that, so we begin developed a, a friendship. And all those guys became, uh, they, were, they were sent from the Church of Indonesia to study at, at uh, the Theological Seminary, now PTS, um, and in fact, PTS has 30. PTS has 30 graduates from Indonesia. And Indonesia has, has uh, put their uh, put their mark on the PTS in a lot of ways and continue to do so. But uh, they became my very good friends. Even though I was a student, Lee, they were in the seminary. And eventually, they would get me to the seminary. But uh, Johannes pastors in Pekalongan, Andres Hani pastors in Sumba. Sumba just had a cyclone. Uh, this past Sunday, this past Sunday. So we're, we're, uh, we're, you know, raising funds and praying for the folks down in Sumba. Uh, John Rusley, John Rusley had COVID. Both him and his wife, Kristen, had COVID four months ago. I'm assuming they're getting better because I haven't heard anything negative, but they're down in Tagal. And then uh, Andres Suryadi was uh, in Jakarta. Andres Suryadi became the second overseer of Indonesia, excuse me, the third overseer. The first was just only a year. Then Dr. Sinduka, who actually founded, and then Andres Suryadi. I was a student at Lee taking a New Testament theology at the Pentecostal Theological Seminary, and the classroom was held in the North Cleveland Church of God Sunday School room, and the professor was French L. Arrington. Mm-hmm. And so I was a, I was way over my head, uh, and I have, a, I have a very close relationship with Dr. Arrington now. Uh, but then I was just a, a, a student. But I remember in that class one day, Dr. Arrington said to uh, uh, Andres Sirati, "Andres, would you pray for us today and pray in the Indonesian language so we can all hear it and in, and in read from your prayer?" This is the very first time in my life that I actually heard Bahasa Indonesia, the, the language that, you know, I, I, I preach in and all the time that I translate back and forth into. And so, but it was from Andres. So these, these individuals all became long time friends. Uh, Johannes was the best man at our wedding. Uh, you know, it's just, it just, you make relationships, you make relationships that last, for a lifetime. I did that at PTS. I did that also at Lee. And I recommend that to all students. And I recommend that to you, Tim. Thank you. Yeah. Relationships are key. And, and uh, it's amazing what they can do and, you know, that they span countries in the world. So absolutely. Um, all right. Let's go to question three. Uh, so what what exactly was it that clinched your decision to make that first trip to in- Indonesia? I raised the money. Okay. <laughs> uh, back yeah, in those days. <laughs> yeah. That, that, uh, well, actually, it was a major step of faith. Uh, I'll tell you this. When I was a student at Lee, one summer, I spent the entire summer in Southern California. I preached 90 times in three months. Cecil Giles was the state overseer at that time. It allowed me to come. I started in Blythe, which is in the middle of the desert, just over the Arizona line. And I went uh, all over Southern California, down to say, uh, down to San San Diego, and then up to Lompoc, California, and Corona, California, and it's a lot of different places. So I was, I was learning to be alone. I drove all the way from the uh, 
Atlantic Ocean because I grew up on Wilmington Island, Savannah. That's 10 minutes from the Savannah Beach. And I drove all the way to Long Beach in California all by myself. I spent three months. I learned to be away, be in different cultures and different situations. I went on the initial step program. Back then it was called the Summer Evangelism Training Partners Program. And the initial program under Marcus Hand of the Youth Department of the Church of God, we were stepping across the Caribbean. We went to Haiti. We went to Puerto Rico. We went to Barbados. When you saw the white sand beaches of Barbados, you think you were called to be a missionary to Barbados. We attended the uh, quarterly service in uh, uh, Bridgetown, Barbados. It's a six-hour service. Wow. Every quarter, it's a six-hour service, and the dean of students, uh, Paul Duncan, who become a friend later, but he was a he was a dean of students for me when I was there, and he always got on to me for not going to chapel. He didn't think I didn't go to church, but uh, I told him chapel and church is not the same thing. Anyway, he fell asleep on the platform because it was just so stinking hot, <laughs> you know. And for all the leases, there were forty. 40 of us. There were 40 uh, young people. And and again, you make relationships. Rocky Schrabel, who pastors in Ocala now, was on that same trip. He was a senior in high school. I was, I think, a junior in college at that time. You make long-term relations. But those mission, and, and, and the following year, we I went with the dean of students, Paul Duncan, and we spent a month. We spent a month in Guatemala. Earl Rowan, who was the basketball coach at Lee, and I worked with the basketball team, Earl Rowan and Paul Duncan signed a note at the bank for me to borrow $750 to be able to go on that second step program and spend a month. And I preached in Totonicapan, and um, uh, an MK, a missionary kid, translated me into Spanish. You know, And Totonicapan is where the Holy Spirit first was poured out in Latin America, in Guatemala. Each of these things, God is preparing you uh, along the way to to go. And, of course, I will end up in Indonesia. I met uh, Uchu and Johannes and uh, uh, these uh, uh, Andreas, especially Uchu and Johannes and Andres Hani. Uh, there's Andres Hani and Andres Suryadi, two different persons. Um, but they invited me to come to Indonesia. And because they invited me, I spent one year as associate pastor in Hazelhurst, Georgia, in South Georgia, associate pastor, youth director, and, and, and whatever the pastor wanted me to do. But he allowed me to preach because I could indeed preach and um, uh, preparing me. But in that year, God was, I was contact with my Indonesian friends back in Cleveland. They invited me to come for a six-year uh, tour which uh, Herb Walker, uh, Herb Walker, who would become a the director of uh, World Missions for a time, and later he would also become the president of PTS uh, for a time. Uh, but he was the educational director of the Church of God un, at World Missions when he and I worked out this special project. It was a special project back in 1982. I didn't go to 83, but all of, all of 82, I was raising money. I had an $11,000 budget to raise. I just didn't do too well. I'd raised $2,000. I'd raised $2,000 to go and I, and a plane ticket. And so two weeks before I'm about to leave, I went on a three-day fast. I went back to Hazelhurst. Um, one of the members, uh, wealthy members, uh, well-off members in the church, good, generous members. He's no longer living. But he taught me a lot about giving, sowing. But I went 
and got in. He had a brand new trailer out in the middle of the woods for people who want to go out there and fish. I went out there and I prayed and fasted for three days. God spoke to me and God said to me that he was going to provide. He said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things from God is what William Carey said. Right. Donovan Judson, Donovan Judson said that God prefers to provide ahead of time. I prayed, God, I have $2,000 in a ticket. I'm going to Indonesia and you're going to have to, I don't know how long I'm going to stay, but I'm going to be obedient because obedience is important. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to go. How long I stay, God, is up to you. I've been there 38 years. That's how long I've stayed. Um, God answered the prayer. I went to my home church right before I left. Went to my home church. In Savannah. I did not know the senior pastor that well then. He was new. The church in Savannah had, had serious problems from a previous pastor, financial problems and other things. And so this new pastor had been there. But one thing, even though I was in Hazelhurst, I paid my tithes. So the pastor knew my name, but he didn't really know me. So I went and, I, and we had lunch on Friday afternoon. He invited me to do a mission service on Sunday morning at the, at the Duran Church. At that time, that church in Savannah was the largest church in the Church of God in South Georgia. So I went there, and this is my home church. And so, uh, I, but on Friday, we had lunch, and he had a couple staff members, you know, and uh, we all went out to a, a famous restaurant in Savannah, and Miss Wilkes, and where you, you know, you eat country food and all. So anyway, uh, I told God had spoken to me and God said on Sunday, I'm going to give you $5,000 cash. I was nervous as I'll get out. Cause I was speaking with evangelist pastor Floyd Lahan. Now on the 20th of April of this month, brother Lahan will be inducted into the hall of prophets at PTS. Um, so uh, brother, I told brother Lahan, like I said, I didn't know him that well. He was a famous camp meeting evangelist, you know, and all kinds of church of God ties and everything. And, you know, and he's, uh, he's one that lays the Bible on you. Mm-hmm. And uh, because God, when he was a little boy, his pastor laid the Bible on him and healed him of a major disease. That's why all this started. Anyway, I said, brother Lahan, God told me that on Sunday, he's going to provide $5,000. I don't know how Floyd Lahan laughed. And then he says, I'm laughing. Because last night I prayed and God told me the exact same thing. <laughs> On Sunday morning, I preached and taken off and Floyd got up. The pastor Hunt got up. He took, he opened up his own wallet and took out a hundred dollar bill. He said, I need 49 other people to join me. 57 people came down. We got more than 5,000. And then those next six months, that church supported me an additional thousand dollars every month to keep you on the field. It, it was a step of faith. To, to do the whole thing, you know, uh, um, my, my parents probably thought I couldn't do it and, and, and I couldn't, but it was God. And, uh, and, you know, and, and during that trip, that's when I met my wife and, you know, that's it. A lot of things happened. You know, we, we saw 500 conversions during that six months initially that I was there in 1983 because I traveled across Java because all my friends, I visited them. They're all pastors or teaching in the Bible school. And they were able to connect me uh, with other pastors. You know, I was, I used them as a platform, you know, you know, I'm, I'm their friend from school. I'm coming. I'm a, I'm an American, you know, and it's a young guy. So I preach national youth Congress and, and, you know, a, a lot of different things that the Lord opened. Of course, I'm preaching in English and they're translating me and, uh, you know, and the Lord 
moved and blessed. And we had, uh, we had great meetings in a, a lot of different places. But during that time I was there, that's when God says, okay, this is it. It's not Barbados. It's not Puerto Rico. It's not, it's not I took Spanish three times and failed all three times. Um, everywhere, this is it. And, um, you know, I would go back. I, had, I would come back. And because I was successful after the six months, uh, I would go back to the seminary and I would complete my degree at World Missions. And they, they did give me a scholarship. Uh, and uh, then I would uh, I'd become roommates with a Puerto Rican who I'd met on one of those step programs. Who come my very good friend, still good friend. He would be the president. He would go and get a doctor's degree, be the president of the school down in San Juan. And, be the, and he served as overseer for a while of the uh, Church of God Mission Board. It's what they call the Church of God in Puerto Rico. Uh, El Defi- and so, and, and, you know, we, we were, everything, God step by step put it. I was able to uh, finish all the classwork, get the visa, go back to Indonesia because I've already met Poppy, who's going to be my wife. And I've already, I've already proposed and, you know, we've already, you know, and uh, that was raised a lot of eyebrows to some people in Cleveland and, and some didn't give a, you know, some, some, you know, uh, I, uh, I I did the right things, and um, I didn't do the wrong things. That's the important thing. And so, um, but uh, uh, I'd go back, finish that classwork, then go back to Indonesia, be there for a few months, start language school. After three months of language school, we get married, and then I'm still going to go back to language school, and she gets pregnant and uh, with Andy, our first son, who I think you perhaps know, yep. and I, I'm in language school learning, and and it's hard, it's hard to language school. Even actually, before we got married, I was renting a room, a small room, in the home of a Baptist pastor. He rented out rooms, or they rented out rooms, uh, to students at the language school. I had one. And I just never could get the passive structure, as I hate grammar to begin with, and to pronounce ng and ngg, like the word dengan, n e a d e n g a n. It's an important word. It means uh, with, you know. And so you're going to use it a lot. But a lot of Indonesian words is, are ng or ny or ngg, and yotorharjo, Pastor Nico's last name, Nico Nyotorharjo. Nobody in the Church of God can pronounce it correctly yet. Um, but you had to get that ng. That was important. I was about to give up, literally. So I went to my little room, ate a little meal, and I laid down. I had a blanket that I had purchased in Guatemala and a yellow blanket, real bright, beautiful, multicolored thing. Yellow was the main color. I just pulled it over my head and I fell asleep crying, praying, because I said, God, I have done all that I can do. Can't do anymore. I've, you know, I just don't have any more in me. If I'm going to get this language, it's going to have to be you. I slept for 11 hours. 11 hours, 9, 10, 11, 11 hours that night. It was from the late afternoon to the the next morning when I woke up. But the next morning, Eureka, the angels had visited me that night and, and our God sent something to fix my brain cells and my tongue that I understood the passive. I no longer say I was locked by the door, you know, 
and uh, and I could pronounce the ng. It was just uh, it got, I had done my part and it's gone as far as I could. I learned a lot about faith and trusting God. Is you, you you're obedient, you do. You know, faith without works is dead. And so that was the works. I did the works, and then God brought a miracle. I would eventually drop out, not complete the entire 12 um, uh, levels. It's 12 months because Andy was being born, and we, the language school was in a city three hours away from our Bible school in the capital city. I think I finished nine. I, was, I got to the ninth level. But I understood how to acquire language. And um, so that was the was a miracle. It was it was uh, things are progressive. Things is God working in you in a process to to grow you to where you can be. And, you know, I, I know that you probably you may be. I don't know. Want to know some advice for missionaries. And I will say learn language. Mm-hmm. You know, language does not teach you the culture, but language gives you the key to learn the culture and you need to learn the culture if you're going to reach the people. But that was a miracle. It really, for me. And now I went one year, you got to understand this. My first calling was not to missions. My first calling when I was 16 years old was to preach. Okay. Above it, above all things, I'm a preacher. Okay. And I, my second call, well, first calling was to Christ. Second calling would be to be a preacher of the gospel. The third calling would be to missions. Okay, and so uh, I went in language school. I had to give up. I did not preach for twelve months. That was hard because I, I enjoy preaching, and you know that's in a way that's how I make my living. But that is the the calling upon my life. But there was a promise. Someone gave me a promise. I forget. Once you finish this language school you'll preach more than you've ever had in all your life. And that's what happened. I remember, I remember Victor Pagang. Victor Pagang, and there's three Victor Pagangs, okay? Okay. Victor, the, the father, he's got two sons, and he named both of them Victor, okay? My youngest son, Peter, and the youngest Victor were roommates at Lee. But when on that on that first step program that we went to Puerto Rico, Victor, the older, the one that's a little bit older than me, he was on the Council of 18 and he became the assistant director of World Missions. Victor was a young Puerto Rican evangelist. Mm -hmm. And when he was the young Puerto Rican evangelist in our open air crusade in, I think it was Ponce in uh, uh, Puerto Rico, because we had 40 young people from America. Plus we had about 15 chaperones, uh, youth pastors and, 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 and professors at Lee. Uh, Victor got up and started translating. And I noticed this because Victor would translate English, Spanish, English, Spanish, English, Spanish. And I said, one day, God, I want to be able to do that. And I was just, you know, I didn't tell that to anybody. You know, because that, I, like I told you, I flunked Spanish three times. That wasn't God's plan at that point. But I have learned to do that in Indonesian. And uh, two year, two years ago, two years ago in May, this May of next month, I guess, two year, two years ago in New York City, we had a revival. Indonesians and Americans and whoever else in New York City, but we had two speakers. Actually, we had three. Uh, 
the general overseer of the Church of God, uh, Tim Hill, and the pastor of the largest church of the Church of God, uh, Nico Nyotorajo, both preached, and I got to translate both of them. And so Dr. Hill uh, preached first, and you know we had a five-minute uh, worship to change the pulpits. I had to move from the left to the right or the right to the left. I forget how it was. And it also I had to clear my brain, you know, because I'm going from Indonesian to English. No, no, I was going from English to Indonesian, and now I had to go from Indonesian into English. So I had to, I, it, my own brain had to, but, you know, and, and now I've, you know, traveled a, a lot of places translating, uh, you know, for Pastor Nico, but also for others. And, uh, and when Dr. Hill comes to Indonesia, I translate for Dr. I translate for several uh, major leaders, you know, but I always enjoy Dr. Hill, not because of his current position, but uh, he's an evangelist. And, and, you know, I like that, you know, I translated for Dr. Early on, uh, uh, Charles Kahn, you know, he put us in like a mighty army. I always enjoyed translating uh, Dr. Paul Walker, you know, who really who supported us from the very beginning, along with Floyd Lahan. And the influences in my life from America, no one influenced me more than Floyd Lahan and Paul Walker. Either one of them ever email, call me, write me. It's yes, sir. And I'm answering immediately. And of course, Dr. Walker just passed away recently, but, uh, no, Dr. Walker really, uh, uh, influenced a, a lot, you know, in, in the past. So that would be in influences, but you had to be able to speak both languages, translate, you know, it took a while, but God, here's the thing, Tim, when you pray, you know, God, I'd like to do that someday. I'm looking up at Victor Pagan right there in Ponce, Puerto Rico. He's, he just, you know, stood up in the middle of the altar and started going both directions, you know, and, and, you know, people are coming to the altar, beginning saved and filled with spirit and, and, and healing and, and, and miracles are happening, but God's using him, you know, that's good. And I, and I see that, but God focused my eyes on what Victor was doing and caught my attention. Uh, God, I'd like to do that someday. God heard my prayer, never forgot my prayer, but later, replicated my prayer but in a different language so it's to me it's that's important right you said that you prayed which is important but you also fasted and i think that shows really great commitment to what god was leading you to do provided in that absolutely Uh, Uh, fasting is important now now i don't do it as often as i ought to do it and 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 i'm sure that my wife would say i need to do it more often uh but the indonesian church the indonesian church always closes the year especially the church under pastor nico and uh always closes with a, a it'd be a, be a 21 day fast it could be you know during i would say during the global pandemic i have to look at my notes but i think pastor nico has called i believe it's 69 days during the pandemic have been fast days wow. okay and every saturday every saturday his congregation his leaders in his congregation has 10,000 leaders they fast every Saturday until noon, from Friday evening until noon. And so, um, uh, and a lot of Indonesian churches do. 
You know, it's just a, uh, 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 and it's not just in recent churches, but uh, I, I preached, I had uh, two revivals in Mobile with uh, uh, Ernest and uh, uh, Rachel Quinley. They're retired now, but uh, 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 Ernest Quinley was, he was a state youth director in South Georgia when I went to Indonesia, I believe. And or when I was, when I was a uh, youth pastor at Hazelhurst and um, we did a rock of fine permission. But anyway, brother Quinley, uh, when I went and preached revival, I found out that he and Rachel, his wife, they fasted every Wednesday. You know, it was just for their own, for their ministry revival or not, you know, you know, and so, uh, uh, and so I felt that there's there's power in in fasting, and that's what God told me to do. Mm-hmm. Those those three days set the focus originally, but uh, three days over a lifetime is not enough, right. you know. And so uh, uh, so we've called you know on on and off. Indonesia does a lot of Daniel fast. Um, sometimes they'll call a fast and it's just a, a free fast. You know, you fast when you want to, how much you want to, and what type of fast. But then it's been specific times where it's been a, a Daniel fast. Um, we faced a situation one time. Uh, we, we lived uh, 10 months, I guess, in Perth, Australia. After the 1998 riots in Indonesia, we had to evacuate and we got, we settled down to temporarily pastor a church, an Indonesian church in Perth, because a lot of Indonesians ran off to Perth. And well, we faced a situation there and uh, leadership from Indonesia strongly urged me in Pompey to the two of us to go on an Esther fast. And an Esther fast is three days with just water. And so, you know, the situation that we were confronting, Andy and Peter were were small then, but the situation was very serious and we needed a breakthrough. And so we did. And God gave us the breakthrough that we needed, not necessarily the one we wanted, but he gave us the breakthrough that we needed. And, and it was all over and said, you know, God did the right thing. We, you know, and we were doing the right thing to follow him. So I'm sure that fasting is very, very important. Okay. So I, I've got a few questions and I, I want to try to, to line them up. You, you just spoke on the 1998 riots. And I was also reading um, that in the sixties, uh, Indonesia went through some, uh, governmental change and they were thinking about communism and they weren't too fond about Westerners. Um, how has that played out in, in, in your time uh, in ministry in Indonesia? Is it still, um, I, I don't want to say, is it s- stable, but what are, what is it like to, to minister in a place that uh, isn't like the U.S., doesn't uh, have a lot of the same type of government and, and whatnot. And how does that affect you? For me, uh-huh. Indonesia is better. Okay. Okay. For me now, that may not be that way for everybody else, but in, in our in our churches, not all of them, but in eighty percent. 
of the churches that I preach in, they are flowing in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And that makes a big difference. Right. Any, anybody can preach. You know, it's, it's anybody that has a little bit of gifting, the Holy Spirit that is at work in us will do exceedingly abundantly, immeasurably more than we can ask or think. Uh, because the people, they've been, they have been praying in the Spirit before you get to the pulpit. And their hearts and minds are cleansed and, and purified and, and ready to receive. That, that makes a big difference. But let me comment on the, the coup d'etat that took place in 1965 in Indonesia and the 1998 riots. Was all Both changed the government. Okay. Now, I was not there in the mid-60s. I read about all of that. I've got probably 11, 12 books in my library that cover Indonesian history and the and the Indonesian revival that followed. I got, you know, and there's a lot of books about the Indonesian revival, pro and con. You know, it depends if it was an Indonesian writer or a missionary writer. Depends if he was a Pentecostal, he's a non-Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. And then they some of them talked about specific areas of Indonesia. Um, but I talked to a friend of mine who is a retired, semi-retired missionary, uh, Pentecostal missionary from Michigan, who's very, who, who he and his wife, his wife is now going to heaven, but, uh, Bill Myers, uh, was very close and is close to Poppy and I, uh, and he was there in the mid sixties. He was there in 1998 too. Mm. And it was, you know, when, and so were we. And Bill told me that 98 was much worse. Hmm. And so uh, 98, I was there alone. Uh, Poppy and seven other women uh, from Indonesia, all lay, all pastors' wives, had left the country to go to some prayer deal over in Bangkok, Thailand. They went to Bangkok to pray and to bless. You know, the Indonesian wants to bless other nations. Hmm. And so they were over there. Uh, praying, which was a good thing because uh, uh, it, it was bad. Um, you w- saw it on the television. We were in the 1968 YWA project, which is uh, a mile and a half at most, a mile and a half, I guess, from the Indonesian parliament building. And uh, they would invade the parliament building. And uh, uh, you know, you'd see it. And I, I, we, we had two student workers in our house, female student workers, uh, that worked, uh, for us and, and, uh, did a lot of things for Poppy. And they were actually all worked in the library. And, you know, we contributed a lot to the library. And the girls, uh, were watching our kids. And so I told them to have Andy and Peter wear shoes. Yeah, had to wear shoes in the house. Normally, we take off our shoes in the house. They had to wear shoes and no TV. They could watch cartoons on the videotapes that I had them, but no. T- I didn't want to. I didn't want them to see what's going on yeah. because they were already riots in the in the city, and it was getting worse. Steve Land, Steve Land, who would become president of PTS, he was with us, but he was in a hotel a block away, and Steve at that time was just a professor at PTS. And it scared Steve. It scared us too, because Steve from his hotel room saw the military helicopters flying over because, oh, maybe two miles or less 
down the road behind his hotel off a of major road is where the university, where the students were shot. And that started the whole thing, you know, but Indonesia had been tense for a long time. And I just remember, uh, I didn't know what to do. You know, my wife wasn't there. I had two little boys. I packed some stuff and I couldn't get through to Church of God World Missions leadership. They wouldn't answer the phone, couldn't get through, whatever. Finally, in in uh, uh, a moment of desperation, I just I went in. I went to my private place and a private place has a throne in it. Okay, if you can just imagine. And I was just sitting there by myself, you know. Uh, this is the middle of the night. And uh, I don't know what to do. And I just opened the Bible. And, you know, the scripture popped out. When the enemy should come in the flood, the Spirit of the Lord lift up a standard against him. You know, that's, you know, amazing. Because that helped me. A few minutes later, two or three things happened. Uh I got a call from Cleveland, Tennessee. I got a call from Cecil Knight, who was the president of the seminary. And, you know, Dr. Knight uh, encouraged me. You know, he had been on the phone with Steve Land. I got a call from a non-Pentecostal businessman in Jakarta. His son and my oldest son, Andy, were best friends. And he called and says, Tommy, how many tickets do you need? I have an, a back door into Silk Airways, a subsidiary of Singapore Airlines. How many tickets do you need? I said, I need four tickets, me, Andy, Peter, and Dr. Land. Okay, tickets going to cost $200 a piece, okay? Normally, they wouldn't cost that much. That's about all the money I had. And so uh, he said, be at the airport. Your flight is at uh, 2 in the afternoon tomorrow. You know, they got him. You know, we got on the flight. We got there. We left our, you know, it's been rioting all day. We left the school at 6 a.m. in the morning when we had a, a one suitcase with church documents and a few clothes, not a whole lot. Uh, I didn't even, I didn't have church clothes. I just brought some clothes. We could, I didn't know what's going to go on, but I took some documents that I thought we might need to preserve. And um, we, uh, I had a bunch of students. I had the who would be who was a state overseer and his assistant. They would later become the general overseer. So I'm Doko Haspati and the general secretary, uh, Fir Harisa, uh, and the oldest, ugliest vehicle in the complex that run safely because we didn't want to attract, you know. Plus, we had the biggest, meanest, ugliest students riding on top. And we picked up Dr. Land, and off we were. The roads, people were still sleeping because it was, you know, 6 in the morning, mm -hmm. and they had rioted till late. We got to the airport, and it was already crowded. I got in a long line. I waited an hour and 20 minutes till I got to the window to claim my tickets. I had the reservations, had everything. And the girl says to me, the girl says to me, I'm sorry, but we cannot issue those tickets until after 12 noon. Oh, and, and I just, I didn't wait in over an hour. And uh, I, uh, Andy was elsewhere with Dr. Land and the, the Indonesian students guarding our team. But I had Peter with me. And I don't know if you know my youngest son, Peter, or not. But I picked, Peter was just uh, four or five, maybe, little. I picked him up and I put him on the counter. And I no longer 
was speaking nice, gentle Indonesian because I looked out to my right and I saw a CNN camera. And I told that girl in Indonesian, I said, listen, you need to give me these tickets now. I've already waited almost an hour and a half. I said, I'm speaking to you in nice Indonesian and polite. And I don't mean this against you, but here's the thing. If you don't give me these tickets that are confirmed and I'm ready to pay for them now and get these tickets so we can get in, I want you to know that I'm not only fluent in Indonesian, but you better believe I am very fluent in English. And I won't turn and tell that CNN camera that you are refusing to sell me the tickets that I have confirmed reservations on. She says, that won't be necessary. I think we're able to process that right now. <laughs> and, she, and she did, you know, and, and we got through. It would be a long day because there was no food in the airport. And, and especially Peter needs, needs food. I remember when finally we got on Silk Air later that afternoon, they were serving fresh squeezed orange juice. Silk Air is the subsidiary of Singapore Airlines, which is the world's best airline. And I drank maybe three or four glasses of that fresh orange juice because I was just depleted. We never got out of the airport in Singapore until after we found the Chili's. We saw a Chili's and me and Dr. Land and Andy and Peter, we went and had us some cheeseburgers and French fries and nachos because we all was hungry. And finally we went. And so that was, but that was a terrifying terrifying thing because uh, uh, over a billion dollars worth of damage was done at at five o'clock in the afternoon. I climbed up to the roof of the YDB projects, four stories, 1968 YDB project. We've had more than 4,000 graduates from that school. That YDB, the most uh, effective probably YDB project in the history of YWA because we've had 4,000 students sent out into ministry. I climbed up to the roof and I could see a ring of smoke all over the city of Jakarta. And earlier in the day, we had the YDBA project. We had one of our larger churches adjacent to us. We have a, a women's project, which was the dorm to, uh, to help the school there. In front of us, we had a, a, a elementary, junior high, high school, and a technical school. We had, a, I think there's six large buildings that belong, that are associated with the church in Indonesia. And these groups that were marauding the city got in front of the buildings and they began to chant, Bakar Bethel, Bakar Bethel, Bakar Bethel. Bakar means burn. Bethel is the name of our church. But God protected us. You know, all of our students put on their student jackets, a big banner saying that we sympathize with the slain students, you know, and, and then, but all of the, the biggest, all, all the female students were not allowed out of the building. All the boys took turns all night long guarding, guarding the buildings to keep us safe. But those were challenging times, you know, uh, if I if I've ever been afraid in my life, I think I was when I crawled into our little bathroom all by myself, and I just cried. And God, you know, spoke spoke to me. When enemy comes like a flood, I lived up her standard, and He did. And you know, uh, we've passed that and gone past that, and ministry continues. And 
and God's done many, many more great things. So that, uh, uh, working through that, that was, uh, you know, I haven't told that story Tim, in a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I did in South Georgia camp meeting, uh, one time when I, when we came back, but, uh, it's been, it's been a long time, you know, but it's, those memories are fresh, you know, uh, very fresh. And, and, uh, uh, along with many others, that God's protective hand, you know, that, uh, over the years that uh, we've seen. and uh, But you asked a question about ministry. You know, ministry in Indonesia, because our churches understand the restoration of the tabernacle of David. And that is prayer, praise, and worship together in unity 24-7. And so we understand the restoration of the tabernacle of David. And, you know, the, 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 power, the part of, of prayer and in the praise and the worship and all that goes together. But that's really, really been, really been a key. So when you go to in most Indonesian services, um, the worship and the praise is it's at such a high level and intense level, and they're very serious about it, and um, that makes preaching easier. And um, uh, it's difficult to build buildings in some parts of Indonesia because of government regulations, and when when uh, the churches begin to really explode in the 80s, late 80s and early 90s, uh, when Pasanico and Alex Tanasaputra, who passed away this past year, uh, they began to open up churches and uh, was a, this, this, this emphasis on praise and worship, particularly Pasanico was all about praise and worship and prayer. And, uh, you know, his preaching wasn't lengthy and still isn't that lengthy, but a long time in uh, praise and worship. And so you set the tone. And uh, this is the restoration of the Tabernacle of David. So it's all about prayer and praise and worship, but together in unity 24 7. And um, uh, it, it makes, it makes a, a really difference. So you, you, you go in these services and, uh, they were growing leaps and bounds. So we begin having churches in movie theaters, having churches in malls. There are 250, I think, I think there are 250 upscale shopping malls in Metro Jakarta. The city of Jakarta proper is only 11, 12 million. Metro Jakarta swells to t- between 30 and 35 million, depending wow. on depending on who you're talking to. Now, if you read a book, they're going to tell you 11 or 12 million. That's only city proper. That's not the Metro uh-huh. Jabotabek, Jabotabek, and that's uh, Jakarta, Bogor, Bandung. It's, it's it's five little cities, you know, the areas put together, and it swells between thirty and thirty-five million. That's what Time Magazine said about five years ago. Uh, it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. So you got all these upscale malls. It's easier to get the permission to have a church service in the mall than it is to actually build a building in the big city. So we have all these malls, these malls we have bought in the mall, bought uh, or, or have long-term rental contracts. And most non-believers, because Indonesia is the world's largest Muslim populated nation. And it's also Hindu and Buddhist and, and uh, atheist. No, no, no atheist, uh, uh, animist, but uh, th- that largest concentration of Islam, they'll never go into a church. But at a mall, it's not a church. 
knowledge. Oh, the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. I call it the mall phenomenon. And so you go to the mall and the national hobby of Jacardins is shopping. You go to the shopping mall. There are restaurants because they love to eat. They love to shop. And you've also got bowling and movie theaters in the mall. And you got all that kind of stuff in the mall, shopping. And it's safe parking because you got to pay to park. So your car's safe. You go to the mall. You go to church. Your kid's going to go see a movie. You're going to go eat. And you and your wife going to go to Starbucks and drink coffee. Or, you know, you're going to meet your friends. And you're going to shop. And you're going to spend the day. And you go to church. And so we have a lot. And some of the malls, you know, we have five services. So on any given Sunday in Jakarta, I can be preaching three, four, five times in a mall. And so that just makes it a, a very unique. And the praise and worship is so powerful. Now, in the city of Bandung, Bandung's three hours away by toll. In the city of Bandung, for many years, we rented the, the Paragon nightclub. Okay, and it just like a Las Vegas nightclub and the nightclub would close at like two thirty three in the morning. And our first service began at six. Now, Indonesians smoke a clove cigarette, yeah. cloves, just the smell of it gives me a headache. And so uh, but that's what the saints were in the first service. It would smell like because they've been they've been doing what they do in the nightclub till two thirty or three in the morning. But six o'clock and we had we'd have like in Bandung, we had four services. Now we were no longer there. We were, I think we we're in the Paragon nightclub, maybe 10 years. But now we have a couple of very large buildings that they've been able to to build and uh, and penetrate. Um, so each place is different. Each place is different, and, but but when you have that powerful praise and worship, in you know, it's just God is sovereign. He did something extra, and that's what makes you know that year. Go back to that year that I didn't preach. Remember, I told you it was a year I didn't preach. I could if I had not done that, I couldn't go to. Uh, the Sinaian City Mall. Now, you know you know my oldest son, Andy, and his wife, Brittany. We had their reception, their Indonesian reception, in the sanctuary where we of that hall. It's a, it's a hall on top of the, I think it's the ninth floor, the tenth floor of the Sinaian City Mall. The Sinaian City Mall is like Rodeo Drive in Los Angeles. Okay? That's amazing. See? And so... Um, you know, and, and we have five services there, mm-hmm. you know, and so you go and usually when I go, I'm bringing three or four ties and shirts because I'm going to perspire and I'll change and, you know, there's a green room and there's, you know, they bring food all, all, all the day in. And, you know, I, I translated once uh, a couple times more than that, actually. Dr. T.L. Lowry, who's no longer alive. And Dr. Lowry, you know, gave me some secrets. He said, Tommy, uh, tell him, tuck these lights out. I'm going to sleep for 10 minutes. And usually he'd sleep for about 15. You know, But he'd lay right there on the couch in the green room, and we'd all have to cut the lights out, and he'd sleep. Get up. All right, let's go. And he'd be fresh again. So, you know, I learned about pacing myself, you know, a little bit. I don't always sleep between those services, but, uh, uh, yeah, I have once or twice. And uh, But each one's different. 
and and when I first started preaching regularly, like for when my relationship with Pastor Nico, we were at the Church of God General Assembly in uh, New Orleans many years ago, and I knew Nico, but I was closer with Pastor Alex. But every morning, Nico and I, we, we ran into each other in the gym. And then we would sit in the sauna after we had worked out on the, during the cardio. We never did the weightlifting back then. We always did the cardio. And then we sit and sweat, which perspire rather, uh, in, the, uh, in the sauna thing there. But we would sit there and talk. At the end of the week, we had developed a much closer relationship beginning. It's very close now. Um, but at the, at the end of that week, he said, listen, uh, this is August. My church now has 18 services. But God has told me to increase. And I'm fixing to take the biggest leap of faith I've ever had. We're going to start 24 services from 18 to 24. And I'd like you, if you would be willing to help me and that's all we have time for in this episode but part two should be out next week and it should be around the same length so stay tuned and until then god bless and keep learning